This is Indie Live Radio, Yes Group Spotlight. And this edition, we're featuring the campaign for a clean currency in an independent Scotland. The campaign is headed up by Andy Anderson. And in this podcast, Andy and the other core members of the group meet up to discuss where they are at the moment in terms of the campaign, where they see the campaign headed and what resources they'd need to take the campaign forward. If you're wondering what a clean currency is, what Andy says is, Scotland must return to a sound and clean currency which meets the real requirements of the Scottish economy, is under the control of the elected Government of Scotland and is in line with Scotland's written constitution. He also says, money's real economic role is as a medium of exchange in the market. That's the role of money or currency. It is not a commodity in the market. It is a medium of exchange. And like everything else in the economy, money is most efficient when it sticks to what it does best. If that's intrigued you, listen to the podcast. The meeting is chaired by Maggie Chetty. And you'll hear Andy Anderson speaking, also Ronnie Morrison, Julian Smith, Agnes McCauley and Leah Gunn-Barrett. Not necessarily in that order. There are also some questions and answers that are interspersed between the various contributions from those speakers. We hope you enjoy the next hour or so on the subject of a clean currency in an independent Scotland. We'll kick off, shall we? Um, this is a, a, a get-together, really, of the Clean Currency, Clean Scottish Currency Group. Um, we, we've been going, the Clean Currency Group, I think, about for about three years, and it was Andy and Ronnie who brought us together in Glasgow, and we had people, really, from all over Scotland who've been part of the group. And like some people have mentioned, we're all very committed to getting a new, a, a, a new Scotland and a new clean currency and banking that hasn't got the horrific um, wild gambling behaviour uh, that we, we saw in the banks in 2008. We want a Scotland that develops a good, solid economy that's based on real wealth. And uh, we have to give our thanks really to Andy and Ronnie for the, the work that they put into this. And we must thank Andy for the the, the things that he's, he's the, the groups that he's set up and, and the journeys that he's made uh, to set up new groups. Uh, so welcome to everybody who's here and uh, I would um, like to welcome Andy uh, to say a bit more about um, his thinking uh, on clean currency and where we're at, because we've made a bit of progress over this period uh, while we've all been in lockdown. And Andy's going to say a bit about that. Andy? Ronnie and I, as I say, met in the run-up to the, the referendum before, and we were horrified about what would happen if we were tied in with the pound and shared in the pound. 
we didn't think that was a very good idea. And uh, we spent some time uh, thinking about it and decided to write. And we published uh, the book Moving On uh, in February of that year before the referendum. The reality is that uh, we got very, very little support from people. We had great difficulty selling any of the books. We had great difficulty getting people uh, to uh, pay attention to this issue. And people told us at that time, look, the currency issue has been settled. Uh, it's all in hand. Um, Alex Salmon knows exactly what's going to happen. It's all dealt with. Don't rock the boat. We're coming up to the referendum. Don't get into uh, problems about currency. Nobody wants to know. So we didn't get a very good reception for uh, for that period. And we sat like many people and watched the latter part of the of the referendum when uh, we found out that uh, the other side were quite prepared to tear us apart on the question of uh, currency and what's your options and what's your alternative and what have you. And we watched all that and we saw, to some extent, the campaign crumble around that because up to that point, we were doing quite well with the campaign. And the campaign just crumbled after that. So after that period, there was a great demand by people to want to know about currency. And then we started selling the books and sold, in fact, the whole first uh, lot in a couple of years. And we've had to re, uh, uh, had to uh, re, um, put out another edition. We didn't change the book and the book more or less stayed as it was. We expected quite a bit of feedback to it, but we, we never got any real serious criticism of it. And uh, I, in, in one sense, was a bit disappointed about that because I knew that there were flaws in, in, in what we had written. This is the nature of the world. And I expected people to come back and make some serious uh, challenges to what we were saying. It's good for your development to have that sort of thing. It didn't actually happen with the book. Um, um, but... Uh, we, we, what we then decided to do was to try and um, having built up a, a group of people, built up a, a, an organisation throughout Scotland, we wanted them to try and get some sort of unity among the people on the left who were anxious to have our own currency and to adopt a different life. We could see that was developing, more and more people were making this point, and we wanted to sort of link with that because we wanted unity. And our thinking at that time was this, that rather than get everybody everywhere in Scotland to agree exactly the type of currency we need, the type of banking reforms we need, and every aspect of it totally agreed by everybody, um, what we needed to do was to look at this in two stages. Stage one, what happened before the referendum? Build up a case in, and a unity on the basis of that. And if we can build up a unity on that, what happens after the referendum is another part, is stage two, is a different part of the game. So we wanted to split it in two ways. And for this reason, that before the referendum, 
the issues that are going to be important are ones that can unite quite a lot of people. They need to be fairly general. They don't need to be in great detail, um, but they need to be clear and fairly general on what we're about to do. Have our own currency, have our own central bank, get that done as soon as possible and establish that. That's what we want. That's what we wanted unity on. We wanted unity on that because we knew that a very large number of people could unite around those simple issues. When we go further after the referendum, then it'll be a different ballgame because then we've got to talk in much more detail about the type of um, of uh, reforms that we need in the banking, etc. So we wanted that two-stage approach. Initially, we approached. Uh, uh, Commonweal, and we spent a lot of time trying to get discussions going with Rob McAlpine, as many of you will remember. And uh, we didn't get very far. We weren't making any progress at all. I uh, later had discussions with Tim Ryder, and there we got a, a better approach, and you know, at least a basis for some understanding that we could proceed on those initial points, and we could look at other aspects. Since that time, that has developed a bit, having. Now, I, it would be false to suggest that we have all, you know, from different groups, got a common position. That's not the case. Uh, but we have got a clear understanding that certain things have to be done. And one of these things that has to be done is that we need to have a common public approach before the referendum so that we're not fighting with each other over details about banking reform in the middle of the, of the referendum, because the other side will use that uh, if we were to do that. So that we don't want to do. That doesn't mean to say that there's an agreement there is very big differences between us yet, and we are continuing to debate and argue uh, about these differences. But I think we're in a position where we may get a common approach on um, on um, fronting up to the to the um, um, to the referendum, and I think that's important, and that's that's a target we set ourselves a long time ago. We wondered if we'd ever get there. I think to some extent we're approaching a position where we might get that. We might get a broad approach here. If we do that, that is helpful. That doesn't mean to say that we can relax on much of the other stuff we've got to do, the work that we've got to do, we're going to continue with that, we're going to continue with the debate and the discussion that we're having with the other groups. That's as much as I want to say at the moment, but I'll answer any questions that people have got. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. Thanks very much. Um, I, I, think, I think it's quite important to... Uh, bear in mind that the issues that we're discussing, currency, banking, a kind of future economy, are issues that are complicated issues. And uh, some of the questions that have been raised with us and indeed um, are being raised all the time is how can we give people the arguments uh, to uh, talk to their no voting friends and um, I think that is the central question, really, that, that we have to address in the course of what we've been doing. And those of us who've 
grappled with some of these difficult ideas, you you know very well that um, you can't you can't answer these questions with a short slogan. But I do think uh, it should uh, be in our minds uh, about how we set about educating ourselves and others. Um, I think it's it's the key thing that we have to do. So um, I'm going to ask uh, Leah Gunn-Barrett, if Leah would uh, join us now um, to talk about um, uh, training and um, discussion. Okay, Leah. Right. Well, I mean, Maggie, I think all I can really say is um, the, the reason I think that we need to get a clear message across to, say, the YES groups or the National YES Network or the, the universe out there that supports independence um, on currency. I think we can be simple. We can have um, maybe a, a fact sheet, uh, which starts with the idea that unless you have your own currency, you're not actually independent. Uh, those of you who've read The Deficit Myth by Stephanie Kelton makes it very clear between nations that are currency users and currency issuers. Uh, the United States is obviously a currency issuer. We have a central bank, the Federal Reserve, that issues dollars. The UK has the Bank of England, issues pounds sterling. You've got the European Central Bank that issues euros. Uh, if we ever wanted to rejoin the European Union as an independent state, Scotland, we would have to have our own currency. So that's a starting point. Now, the issue is, do we want to rejoin the EU or, or join EFTA? That's something for the Scottish people to decide upon independence, I believe. It's sort of getting ahead of the, of the game. But having your own currency um, is, is fundamental to being able to do what an independent nation needs to do, which is to look after its people to invest in, say, a green economy, which I think we need to do if the planet's not going to burn, um, to invest in education and a health service. Um, we need to be able to control our, our economy, our imports and our exports. So we need your own currency. It's fundamental. And many small countries have done this. Andy uses the example, Andy and Ronnie, in their books of Iceland. It's a country. It's independent. It's the population of Edinburgh. And, you know, they have managed perfectly well. So I think, first of all, just to reassure people that this is completely normal. Other countries who've been on the road to independence, you know, Croatia, Estonia, some of the East European, former Soviet uh, Union, uh, members of the Soviet Union have actually made a great success of independence. And many have had their own currency. Some have gone to the euro, some have stuck with their own currencies. So it, first of all, is to demystify it that this is completely normal. And, and when you are a currency issuing nation, you have certain power, you can invest and you don't have to go with a begging bowl as we currently do to Westminster and ask for money, um, you know, for all the services that we need for our people to prosper for a well-being economy. Um, so, and, and as a currency issuing um, uh, nation, you can incur debt. In fact, debt's probably not a good word to use. It's a better word to use savings because everything's a zero sum game. If government spends money, it goes somewhere. It goes into the pockets, into the private sector, into bank accounts, uh, you know, into investment for small firms. I was earlier today listening to an economist uh, named Richard Werner who who's talking about um, the state of global banking. Uh, he's done lots of uh, research, empirical research. He's worked all over the world. And he's German originally. And he said one thing about Germany is that they have a network, a very robust network. 70 or 80% of all of their banks are community banks. 
that are based in the local community. And their remit, they have to lend in a certain geographical area. And they lend to small and medium-sized businesses, which are the majority of the economy. And this is kind of what we're missing in the United Kingdom when we're dominated by five large commercial banks. And we've all seen the impact of their lending for speculation, for uh, investing in, in, in land and, and property. In other words, non-productive purposes. And then that's when you see productivity fall. That's when you see um, uh, all the issues and, 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 the, and the depreciation of sterling and all the, the uh, stagflation of problems we've had in the UK economy, because we don't have the banking system serving the people or the people who actually need it, that is the businesses who need to invest and actually create wealth. Because remember that any currency is merely a measure of what a country's wealth is. And, and Scotland, by any measure, is very wealthy. We have an educated population. We have an abundance and a huge rich, rich riches of natural resources. We have a developed economy. So there's no reason why we couldn't be very, very successful along the lines of some other small Nordic countries. Um, so I think it's, it's just getting that message across clearly, using examples of other countries that have been successful that have done it, and, and be able to come back when these unionists make these ridiculous arguments that, you know, we are dependent, we are dependent on Westminster sending us money. We send money to Westminster, only get a fraction back. So I'm, I'm thinking if we could just put these maybe down in simple soundbite um, uh, phrases that people can understand, maybe have a fact sheet on currency, maybe one on on uh, on debt, because there's always a question of, you know, we have this huge debt here in Scotland, you know, and billions uh, and, and or GERS, the GERS system, which is a, an accounting system that was imposed on us by the Tories, which does not actually reflect um, Scotland's uh, economy at all. In fact, we don't even have a lot of data showing what our economy is. So I, I think maybe that's one way is to put together and I could use the help of many of you to do that. I, I did this kind of thing when I worked in New York in an entirely different area in gun control where we had fact sheets on various issues to, to try to educate people about the issue. So this might be something and then people could use these and if people are so inclined to write to the Herald or the Scotsman or the Edinburgh Evening News or local papers to try to uh, refute some of these arguments that are constantly being put out there. Uh, why Scotland can't make it on its own. Um, then that may be that slow drip drip approach. And if we're all s saying the same consistent thing in, in simple terms that people can understand, that might be an effective way to try to get the message across. And also when people are speaking to their friends and neighbors, if they have these resources handy available to check, to look um, and to uh, refresh their memory about what the issues actually are, then that, that could be, I think, very helpful. So that's all I would, would, would suggest. And I'm welcome to any points of view that you guys might have. Thanks very much, Leah. Great. Um, I, I, I guess listening to you uh, talking, one of the things that um, strikes me quite powerfully is also being able to generate a sense of confidence about what we're doing. Um, yeah. People are, are so anxious about it and if we want to promote uh, a sense of um, we can do it we need to have those kind of confident arguments that you've spoken about and be able to get these across in meetings and elsewhere and of course in letter columns and all of that 
So th- thanks so much for that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, and just to say, Maggie, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, obviously, I'm not from Scotland originally. I'm American. Uh, I'm a dual citizen. But one thing when I came here and I started looking into this issue, I was amazed at how people are not confident. How can you not be confident? You live in this amazing country with all this fabulous potential. Yeah. And, and people say, oh, but we've been put down for 300 years, the Scottish cringe. And I'm like, get over yourselves. That is ridiculous. <laughs> Come on. Where's your fighting spirit? Let's get out there and, and do this because yeah. the, it's such a compelling argument. I can't think of one that's more compelling today. We should do this. And, and of course, we've got many new Italian supporters now who are going to help us in our task. <laughs> Thanks so much, dear. Um, can we now have Agnes, Agnes Macaulay, um, who is Agnes from Inverclyde, who is, has been one of our most staunch, hardworking members. Uh, okay, Agnes. Thank you. I think I've met nearly everybody here. Um, I started off, and probably still am, in the same boat as most people here, which is um, I didn't know anything about currency in the economy, remembered the awful debate on TV with Alistair Darling, um, and then thought, but I don't know the answer here. So um, we started from Inverclyde SNP. Um, to do some public meetings because we thought we could usefully do some political education for our own members, but we also opened it up to the public. So not just for the branch. And Andy was one of the early speakers, turned up with the books. Um, We had um, at that point the book he'd written with Ronnie called Moving On and an earlier edition of a smaller book that's the currency one. So we had Andy come and speak. I was saying, just tell us what to say on the doorstep, Andy. Just just give me 20 minutes. That'll do. That'll do. And I realised that wasn't possible. But what was possible by dint of having Andy there in terms of getting the word out to the public was there was somebody there to talk to us confidently about economic issues at a level that was pitched to us. I know that you couldn't do what I was hoping for is within two hours, make me confident on the doorstep. But what we did do as a result was, after Andy's talk, lots of people were interested and they bought the books. They didn't know what they were buying, including me, but we bought the books because people wanted to read for themselves. So it stimulated that. And secondly, it we were able then to set up um, four small study groups where we had Andy in someone's house doing one five-person group after another. So a few people went forward and got a little more training. But although I think it wouldn't make them want to go on and become trainers, it actually really has helped locally sow the seeds of uh, Scotland can afford to do this. And I'm not sure we entirely thought that before. So... um, We're still trying to do the same thing. So um, as a result of, I think, talking further at meetings with Maggie and Andy, starting cold to talk about fiat currency or fractional reserves kind of makes people blank out. So we started to talk about 
how Scotland had control of its own economy, what would that practically mean? So as Leah said, um, a Green New Deal, what does that mean? So that's the way we're starting to now, is to talk about what in a new Scotland we could use our wealth for, to try and get people thinking about wealth rather than money. Um, so I can say a little bit more about what we're planning to do now. And I think the other thing we did to get the, work, the word out was it gave some of us confidence to try writing resolutions for SNP conference. I would never have done that. So I know Jim um, here also did that. And we used this network to um, pick up on SNP members and share draft resolutions that we try to get people in this network um, taking to their local branch and putting into the SNP. And although that didn't necessarily get us the clear result I thought it was going to get us, we nevertheless, a few years ago, really kind of had a grassroots move from the conference floor, from branches, flagging, this is the kind of economy we want to see run. We don't want sterilisation. We want control over our own economy. And um, I think that was really felt within the party. So that was, I think, only probably about eight branches submitting resolutions. So in terms of getting the word out, it does spread it if people who go to conference or who are, uh, can see that you're pushing something about economics in a simple way. And... Um, I remember Jim actually stood on the platform to speak to it, which I thought was immensely brave. Um, so I think there are numerous ways of getting the word out. And um, I can talk a bit more about what I'm doing locally to see if that's useful for anyone else to either copy or join in on. We are um, following the idea of having a speaker because it's a, a good way into the topic for people is just to have someone talk about it in a really popular way. So a few years ago, you know, I nobbled Andy and said, would you come and talk? Uh, so now um, I've booked Kate Forbes to come so that she can do a meeting um, to talk about well-being economics um, there's very good polling on that done by Believe in Scotland, where they're just trying to get over the message that you can't have a healthy economy without a fun well-functioning society. You can't get a well-functioning society without a healthy economy. As Andy said, it's not talking in detail, but it's a way of engaging um, members to just get a little bit of understanding that is enough so that when they talk to their friends and neighbours, or maybe even we write a letter to local papers, we can say the kind of economy what we want in future is one run for the benefit of the people and start talking about that. So my thoughts were, um, we have Kate Forbes to come. We Because that's going to be a Zoom event, in some ways it's really much easier now that you can get the word out on Eventbrite and people do not necessarily need to trail to Inverclyde, to the Beacon, to hear someone. Um, and they've proven very popular. There's a big appetite for these meetings. And so um, we're going to do Kate Forbes at the end of September, who's going to talk about a well-being economy and the COVID recovery. I'll 
put a link in with the First Minister's TED Talk on well-being economics, um, the polling from Believe in Scotland, and we can put in further reading probably to, you know, Stephanie Kelton or anything else for the interested. What I hoped we could then probably do is promote the idea of doing further study groups over Zoom for people who are interested in taking it a little bit further. Um, I don't know until we run the meeting whether we will get more interest, but when we had Andy there for a couple of hours a few years ago, absolutely, people did want to know. The second event I've booked is a month later, where we've got Neil Gray, who was the co-convener of the, um, the Social Justice Commission or Deputy Convener. So that feels like the second half of the story. If you have control over your own economy, what is it that you want to try and put right? What's not, what's socially unjust about Scotland? And what kind of ways can we apply that economy um, for the benefit of people? So because it's event bright now, we can get the word out, um, you know, in the national, over Scotland, um, very widely, and people can just join in from the comfort of their own home. So that was my thinking, was to try and talk about the economy by, I'm sorry to say, using, quite frankly, you know, getting a prestige figure like Kate Forbes to come and talk will probably bring people in. Um, plenty of people came for Andy, um, but I know that people do come just to hear a well-known person speak. And that can be just the, give folk a little entry into the topic. And then maybe from that, we can also offer further study groups. And I'll do the same after we get um, Neil Gray talking on the Social Justice Commission. And then I'm finally hoping to book, um, I'm sorry, Mike Russell. Because if by December we are not, got anything to say on an independence campaign, I'm hoping that absolutely will feel people to want to know how we're going to afford things. You know, people are going to remember what happened in 2014. Um, the other thing we've been doing is we have a table outside our local Yes shop. I know we can't do street stalls yet, really, but um, the first edition of Andy's... Um, uh, currency book, the little one that, you know, has been updated. Um, we we had bought quite a lot of those and had some from Andy. So um, we put them out free on the table so that people stop by and lift it. And it's been quite surprising over the past few weeks. Um, you know, maybe 10 folk have taken the book and they come in and talk about fiat currency, much to my surprise. So with the old edition, it's quite a good freebie to maybe entice people in on a street stall if we ever get to the point where we can do anything like that. And I finally just want to back what Leah's saying, some simple fact sheets, that kind of thing would be very useful. I, I would be a bit nervous about doing it myself, but I'd be happy to work and provide the perspective of the uninformed and the level at which, if it's pitched for me, it's probably okay for the public. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks very much, Agnes. That's, that's very helpful. Um, I'm wondering if uh, 
Jim Osborne has actually joined us. Is is Jim there by any chance? Because um, Jim has he Jim expressed an interest in, in being here tonight, and he also um, has written. If people read the National, he's written some very interesting stuff, including um, the thing that I found very interesting on pensions, which uh, I think is hugely helpful. The whole idea of using local authority pensions, pension funds uh, to actually um, help to put 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 them to good usage to, to do helpful infrastructure building, particularly like housing, low cost housing and that sort of thing. And I think these are absolutely the kinds of ideas that will be attractive to people and will get across the idea that we, 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 do, actually, we do actually have funds at our disposal that can be put to better use than uh, simply being put into supporting big banks and uh, all sorts of things. Um, so I, I'm going to suggest now that... Um, People uh, come in um, to make points or ask questions. I, you know, now, now is the chance for, for people to come in and um, ha have their say, which is what, what we're here to do tonight. Can I pick Marilyn's brains here? I know you've got um, uh, uh, things we can listen to on Indie Live Radio. I wondered about some people have said to me they would like when we get back to a world in which we can do real meetings uh, whether we could actually have hybrid events where we retain some kind of online uh, access for people either to spectate or to submit questions ahead uh, but really certainly just to listen in to someone talking and I suppose if we were organising relatively uh, big names to come and do a talk. Um, it really struck me this is the next level of technical competence we really need is to be able to be able to provide it online so that people can join in in some way. Um, and I thought, I, I just don't know how to do that. And I wondered if we should be thinking about uh, from our branch, let's say, to try it you know, paying uh, those parts of the indie movement, maybe like Indie Live Radio, to say, can you handle, if we pay you, some of taking forward the technical side of us doing meetings? Because I thought, actually, nowadays, why shouldn't anyone hear Kate Forbes or somebody else from any part of Scotland? Because we can advertise it, but I would be horrified at trying to do the technical side. So... It felt like a, a good, it felt like the next stage was to try and do um, events. I know that um, Tim Rideout and others have certainly done alternative conferences and things like that, but um, that did seem really useful to try and sort out getting the word out online and or with real meetings, but actually getting some expert uh, broadcast help and we pay you for it. I'm sorry, um, uh, Angela, Agnes, I'm sitting here chuckling because to 
uh, in my experience, that's the first time anyone's ever offered to pay anyone <laughs> independent live for doing something. So I'm go I'll take that back to the team meeting next week. They'll that's really good. Um, uh, the 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 certainly be no problem um, doing that. I mean, obviously with the radio, what we're doing is uh, um, recording audio. But then there's also indie indie live itself, which you know has got a lot of experience about uh, setting up, doing exactly what you said, you know, helping set up and then record uh, meetings and and getting the video of it of it as well. And I mean, these days it's it's it doesn't even need that much technical expertise. But 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 still a good idea from your point of view to have someone present, you know, who's looking after it, and you don't need to worry about it because. Oh. Um, because yeah, I, I mean, there's lots, and one of the things that's come out of this last year is all these Zoom meetings, and um, you know we've got a huge amount of recordings from on our on-demand platforms about about them. So, and it does mean that someone has a meeting, and then we get involved either at the radio or um, video recording, and we can extend the reach of that meeting, you know, by several times over, if not, you know, more, you know, tens of times over, actually. So, yeah, uh, let's let's keep in contact about that because it can certainly help. It would be really helpful. We had a member who was fairly technically accomplished who, put, who turned some of the talks into podcasts, and I'm going, you know, I have no idea how he did it. Um, but actually, we were finding he when we counted up the downloads, it was um, I think we had about fifteen hundred. Mm -hmm. I was amazed. So, um, kind of cross fertilizing, so that maybe through branches and meetings, we promote links to where people can hear or see things that are already available. Uh, but likewise, if if I enjoy organizing the meetings, that I thought my heart sinks at the thought of trying to do it in technical. So what we talked about was saying we, we need to just buy that in. Obviously, we'd need permission in future from speakers, but I think we could probably get that. But at the minute, we just needed to say there's something else we need to do to extend the reach of anything we do. And I don't know why I hadn't thought of all of this before the pandemic, but I'm a late convert to Zoom and online. I absolutely get it now. Can, can I uh, ask if um, if Julian's there? Julian, I wondered if you could maybe say a few words about the material that we've been developing um, and using to work with groups because you put a lot of work into it and I think it's, um, it, you know, it, it continues the vein of what we've been discussing about, about the audiovisual stuff that we can use to get the message across and the idea of getting groups together in areas? Yes. Uh, as Jim and Agnes have said, I too uh, got in touch with Andy just after the referendum. I came upon the book Moving On, and I realised that this was where we'd, where we'd lost it, uh, where we'd lost the referendum was at that point. So uh, from then... We arranged for Andy to come and speak to us, just like I think Jim has said and Agnes has said, uh, and Maggie, you also said, I think. Uh, and 
from these uh, seminars, uh, four seminars which uh, Andy ran with our YES group, uh, we then started to get together in Glasgow and it struck me that if we were going to spread this further, it would be uh, better if we could have more than one presenter. And to facilitate that, I created a presentation, a PowerPoint type presentation for each of the four seminars that Andy had delivered to us. And we discussed these in the group. Uh, they were modified and remodified, and we now have uh, these four presentations, which can be delivered remotely or in person. If we ever get back to that kind of meeting, they can be delivered remotely via Zoom, uh, and they cover the main points that uh, the clean currency is all about in, in four sessions, plus a fifth session, which really draws everything together, in, in which the the participants uh, air their own views, opinions, ask questions, respond to questions, and uh, generally thrash out their understanding of currency uh, and, e and economics too, to some extent. So there are two on currency, two presentations on um, uh, the economic uh, economics, uh, and one uh, summary session. Uh, they last about I don't know. It's, it depends on how many questions are asked. Uh, you know how many, how much discussion there is during the presentations. But I guess they last about an hour to an hour and a half, uh, and they're available. And um, anybody that's interested, I mentioned them to uh, Maggie down in Stranraer uh, in an email. Uh, it might be of interest to her group uh, down there. Uh, to just ask Andy if uh, if we could arrange for them to see uh, these presentations. I don't know. They're uh, they're free to use, and um, I'm very willing to hand them on, hand them over to anybody that wants to use them. Lovely, lovely. Thanks, Julian. Ronnie, mm -hmm. could 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 we ask you to come in and say a few words? Um. I think uh, running a thread running through what I've heard this evening is 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 um, linking the the word wealth with that of currency. Um, it's one of the things I think you've got impress upon people at a fairly early stage is the difference. And I know Andy called as it uses the word intrinsic, the word intrinsic value, but it's very important that having uh, got your hands on this printing press, that uh, it doesn't get into the hands of, of the wrong people and, uh, for instance, start asset inflation by simply pouring more money into the financial section to collect a few jobs. Uh, there are always great excuses to uh, protect the financial the sector. Um, the financial sector is very well able to look after itself, probably better than any other uh, sector in the economy. And we've, we've got to direct whatever the government invests its new money in towards the creation of wealth, which means productive stuff, because we're going to have to export as a small country. We're going to have to export uh, quite a large proportion of what we make, what, what we make whether it's services or, or, or physical goods. But... This is something we've really got. It's very easy when people are first introduced to the currency question to say, this is the magic money tree. It's not a magic money tree, but when you've got control of your currency, 
if it's used wisely, and it's not at the moment in Westminster, but if it's used wisely, uh, then it can be a terrific stimulus to the creation of wealth. That's all I just thought to add in. Thanks. Thanks, Ronnie. Thank you for that. Um, and could we have a constitution for Scotland? I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. It's, it's John. John Hutchison, sorry. Oh, John, sorry. I think, I think I've maybe got the... Um, the name and the, the, the organisation the wrong way around. But um, <laughs> thank you. Um, I, I think this point that Jim and Andy uh, and Ronnie have been speaking about, about um, control of the, um, the the currency and being able to um, there, thereby uh, influence the economy and actually create, um, create wealth, create activity, uh, create a better Scotland. I, in terms of training, I think that's the most difficult concept. And I've, I've sat myself down several times to try to understand this idea of, as Ronnie calls it, the, the printing press to be able to take that forward. And that's, I think that's the, the big barrier that I've got to overcome, and I'm sure others too. Um, it'd be useful to hear uh, from Agnes, maybe a contact, a means of being in touch uh, with her so that we can uh, link into the Inverclyde activity. Um, I know Constitution for Scotland where um, well received, you know, by Inverclyde a few months ago, and that was really um, that was really good. Um, if, if I could also mention, to Andy spoke at the beginning uh, about the intention to aim for a common public position, and I can really see how essential that is. And he mentioned one one or two parties like Commonweal, Tim Ryder, and the like. Um, and it strikes me that an organisation like Believe in Scotland is quite influential in all of this. So in, in, in terms of reaching out to um, organisations and individuals to have this common uh, and uh, non-controversial public position, could Andy tell us, does he think that anyone's left out of that loop who, you know, that he's been unable to bring in? And maybe I'm over-egging it for Believe in Scotland, and perhaps I shouldn't do, I'm not, well, I'm part of it, I suppose, not in a, a, a senior way, but um, in, in bringing everybody into the common fold, you know, is, is anyone potentially uh, out there still? Thank you. Well, yes, uh, yes, uh, that's true. Uh, there is a lot of people out there, and indeed, um, you know, looking at the work done by... Um, by um, Gordon McIntyre Kemp is very, very useful, helpful stuff as well. Uh, again, uh, he's, his, uh, his position on uh, an independent currency is very much in line with uh, the objectives that I set out in the first place. I think on the second point of what we do, what type of currency, what type of, of banking system, etc., there, like it, it, with many others, there'll be big differences. But the important thing is getting to the winning the, the prize of the uh, of the referendum first, and I think there there's quite a lot of common ground right across the board, including uh, with Gordon. I haven't spoken to Gordon about this, but I think there is a, a wide area of support that could be brought together. Um, I, you, attempts are being made to do that at the moment, and they're trying to sort of get. A, a wider development and quite a, a number of people come together. 
One of the problems I have to say is that some of the people that have been in contact with us and given us some valuable information are people who are actually employed in, in banking and elsewhere. And the last thing that you want to do, that I would want to do, is talk about who these people are. Because okay. the system that we work in is vicious, uh, viciously cruel towards anybody who they see as, uh, as undermining their position. But we've had people, young people, uh, talk to us about um, a number of things which has been very, very important and helpful. So yes, I haven't worked out how we, you know, how we can extend this further. We must do it. We must get a, a wider discussion going. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that that Jim uh, Osborne suggested is that he might come and do a session with a group of our people for the, uh, and and put his views over and have uh, have debate and answer questions. So while we are still arguing with each other about certain things, we're quite happy to sort of have common discussions in, in areas where we agree. And uh, the wider that we can extend that, the, the better. We wasted a lot of time with people like Commonweal and tried to thought that we could get, get this done quickly. We didn't. We wasted a lot of time and we should have spent a bit more time spreading our wings a bit further and talking to a lot more people. And Gordon would certainly be one that I, I, I'm interested in. Thanks. Thank you. Um, anybody else uh, like to ask a question or uh, make a contribution, express their thoughts? Maggie, just to make a wee point, and just to remind people, because we do have some some new people along tonight, um, that we are running the currency groups. Uh, well, Andy is obviously running the currency groups, and we'll still look to set new ones up for anybody that wants to take part in them. So if anybody that's new that hasn't been to one, that would like to take one or have one organised in their area, feel free to either to contact Andy direct or get in touch with myself on the email list. Uh, and we can look at getting one set up for you. Excellent, Jim. Excellent. Thanks very much. Um, could I ask uh, Leah if she would like to come back in and uh, add, add any new thoughts or ideas that she's had from tonight? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Maggie. Um, one thing I would say, I know that Jim Osborne couldn't be here this evening, but there is broad agreement when you're talking about a banking system for Scotland. Um, and I think he, he outlined three things to make sure that, that the banks um, and, and the money that we put in the banks is going to be safe, which it currently is not under the UK system, and that we have a, 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 a payment system that we can trust that's robust and that's accessible to everybody. And that the main thing is that the banks that we have are actually allocating um, capital and, and lending for productive purposes and not for non-productive purposes. So those are sort of the three things he said that he, I think we all have agreement on um, that we would like to see in, in Scotland. Um, and just to say a couple of other arguments for our own currency that occurred to me is in a future pandemic, and we will have future pandemics, 
with control of our own economy and currency, then we will be able to call the shots and, you know, uh, protect our population, provide furlough payments. We will also be able to increase pensions, which we're powerless to do at the moment because that's a reserved matter. So there's so many elements of having a well-being economy and a, and a stronger, more uh, uh, successful and prosperous Scotland that can only come about with, um, with our independence and our financial independence. So I think keeping it to those broad arguments as to why we will be better off, why everyone would be better off and making sure they understand those fundamentals, I think is really what all we need to, to communicate. We don't have to get into the deep weeds and all of the, uh, the re- banking regulations, which sometimes I listen to, and I just sort of glaze over because I don't have a banking background. But I think, but in terms of the the broad objectives that you want any system that we have to actually work for the people Absolutely. and for our prosperity, and we don't have that at the moment. Absolutely, um, I think he mentioned in his some of the stuff he's written about uh, pensions. Is I, I mean the idea of having. A, a pension that's in line with European pensions, I think is quite an attractive idea. And also the notion that we, we can we can invest pension uh, funds uh, into things like um, low-cost housing, particularly in places in rural areas and in the highlands, because that is such a critical matter at the moment for people living in the highlands and islands who uh, are can compete with the cost of local houses because folk with a bit of money from England and so on are able to buy up local housing uh, at offering prices that local people can't do. So, I, I mean, I think these kind of examples are excellent in terms of showing people immediately uh, how how well we can progress uh, with with control of our own currency, our our own pensions, and our own investment uh, situation. And and people are people are probably aware that there was a second meeting in the House of Commons yesterday about this uh, health bill, which basically is privatizing uh, NHS England. It's allowing private corporations onto the boards and. You know, will that impact Scotland? Yeah, it, it probably will. And so as we just sit back and nothing happens with the SNP government in terms of progressing the case for independence, you know, Westminster is taking more and more away from us. Uh, it's it's times of the essence. I'm getting actually quite concerned. I don't know how you guys feel, but it doesn't look great at the moment. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, anybody else? Julian? No, I'm oh, sorry. I thought I saw a yellow hand. <laughs> yes, you do. You do indeed see a yellow oh, hand. Oh, excellent. Uh, I, I was. I, I take. I, I share very much what Leah and Mary have just said. Um, the the question I was going to put to to everybody to see what you think is: Has the appointment of a new committee of advisors on the transforming Scotland's economy in the next decade, will that make any difference to our our situation, our approach to currency and uh, the economic uh, organ- economic arrangements that we, that we seek for uh, Scotland? And one of the things is I'm really disappointed not to see any of the people 
that I regularly meet on these Zoom meetings in all kinds of fora, there's not one of them is on that committee. All the, None of the people, that, apart from by reputation, Nick McPherson, none of the other people really, or there's um, there, there are one or two names I know, but none of them has appeared on any of the groups that have been working away uh, hard, doing hard work for the last six or seven years on economics and currency. Not one of the people that I see uh, is, is on that committee. And I just wonder... What, where are we? Uh, what's happening to our voice? Our voices seems not to be being listened to, and it would be very interesting to ask Kate Forbes, Agnes, uh, because she is chairing this group. Just how were they appointed, and what is their remit? Because that is still not very clear. One thing I should say is, it looks as though the Growth Commission is now history. And their recommendation for Sterling is now in the bin because Nick McPherson, for one, uh, is not an advocate of sharing Sterling. And so I don't see how uh, the Growth Commission can continue to uh, have any influence whatsoever. But what do you think about, uh, about this new committee? What, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on it? <coughs> Could I have a word about that? Because I spent most of the afternoon uh, looking through the list of members of that committee and searching YouTube to see if I could find out uh, who they were and what they thought in one way or another. And perhaps half a dozen of them have been able to, to come up with some sort of interesting information. Fundamentally, there's a thread of entrepreneurial success running through it. Um, the guy, that I can't remember his name, some of the names I can't recall, but the, the guy that runs the, the gaming, uh, very successful gaming manufacturing business in Dundee, he's on it, Van somebody. And um, he, he has a very interesting video on YouTube. And his, his obsession is, he's also in the Futures, uh, what do they call it, the 2030 Futures Commission. Uh, he thinks that the, the technological changes which are going to happen in the next 10 years that's the period of the brief of this committee. The technological changes are going to absolutely overwhelm uh, any considerations of uh, uh, political nationalism or independence or anything like that. He thinks that that's, um, independence is very much in the back burner because these technological changes are going to supersede everything and change our lives. And I think there's, there's a lot of truth in what he said. He's a very intelligent guy and, and also very successful. And there's another guy called Burden, uh, no, Blythe, Mark Blythe, who's a, 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 a ex-Glaswegian uh, economist and, and, and uh, who's, who's worked in the States for many years. There's an interview with him, uh, which is very interesting too. He thinks that independence will eventually happen, but he's very keen that it should happen almost seamlessly um, in other words, he's very, he's very keen that the financial sector is well looked after. Um, looking after the financial sector to me is, 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 a, is a, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, if, if you try and please the financial sector in Scotland, albeit it employs, I'm, I'm told, something like eight, is it 80 or 8,000 people? Thousands of people anyway. 
uh, is an immensely important part of the Scottish economy. Now, that's that's not wealth, that's money. And and to me, the I, I'm not particularly concerned about that, but I, I do see that the man in the street is very concerned about it because he will see um, he, he will see that the, the, all these banks closing and all these uh, asset managers running away to London, etc. It's going to it's going to leave Scotland absolutely impoverished. Uh, that's an illusion we're going to have to fight. But I don't think this this uh, particular advisory commission is going to come out with the sort of answers that groups like ours uh, would would, re would really like to to hear. Um, it's very much a business-orientated group, and it, in the brief, uh, there is just nothing about independence. It's just a ten-year look at the economic future of Scotland, uh, not in the context of, of, of independence at all. No. no. So I, I think it's a very good idea. I think we should, what we should do is try and get a, 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 um, a, a resolution to SNP conference. I've been a member since the sixties. Um, a resolution through, through conference that uh, these committees should um, have a grassroots content, and they should be required because the constitution of the of, of the SNP is, is is independence. That's what it exists for. It's in its constitution. Um, it, it, these these committees should be appointed with a, a grassroots representation and should have to report in the context of a foreseeable uh, independent situation. Thanks. Thanks very much for that, Ronnie. Uh, I, I think I absolutely agree with you. I, I think for myself, when I saw that it was a 10-year plan, my heart sank because I think exactly what you've alluded to. How can you plan for independence? Uh, are we talking, it, it, it's, it, it's as though it's just been pushed pushed away. It, it seems to me that you can do pre-indie planning and you can do, uh, you can discuss post-indie planning, but 10 years sounds as though it's um, been, you know, just put, put to one side. Um, Andy, do you want to respond to Julian's question? Yes, well, I mean, I, I agree entirely with uh, what Ronnie's saying. This is the establishment. Um, there's a different establishment. It's quite clear that Nick McPherson is different uh, from what they had at the time of the last uh, group that was advising the government. But it's the establishment. The only way that we will make the substantial changes that are required. And, and let's face this, there are requirements, not just because we need, uh, and we, we need it, we want independence, we're seeking independence, that's one factor, but there are, there are other big forces moving. One is the, the climate change. Climate change is going to demand changes even if we weren't involved in uh, independence. Independence helps us to tie in with that and to make it, but we're going to have to do it. There's going to have to be major changes. And the same in the context of the financial system. The financial system is bust. The whole system is falling apart. So there has to be something to take its place. 
And it's in that context that these changes have, have to actually take place. So setting up a body of uh, establishment figures who'll talk about uh, uh, the establishment and how things used to be is not any good for how things ought to be and how we're going to change it. So uh, really, we're going to have to make a case and, and push it through separately. One of the things you said tonight was in terms of uh, Leah's contribution, and I, I noticed it as, as you did, the confidence and the, the, the way that she put her, her case across. That's absolutely vital for us in the process of putting our case across in a number of places. And that's what I was trying to do initially when I started this process off of having these small groups get people with a bit of knowledge of the, of the subject and they feel a lot more confident and they're then able to speak more confidently. And if you can get people to do that, you can make a lot of changes. Well, the, the coronavirus has managed to make that point very effectively, hasn't it, with its R numbers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Infect one, you infect seven, seven's 49, and 49 is thousands. <laughs> Uh, anybody else like to come in on this? Questions, points? Presumably there would be quite a lot of parties wanting to see a Scottish currency fail. Um, what, what kind of, you know, how, how could we protect our currency? I mean, would, would we tie the currency to the euro or would we tie the currency to, you know, the pound? I mean, the pound's an international currency. Presumably, you know, there isn't any reason why we would have to stop using the pound. But I was wondering, in a, a situation, you know, where there was a run on a Scottish currency, I mean, what sort of measures would we be able to take as an independent country to, you know, stop any of these issues arising in the first place? Yeah, well, that raises, that raises a whole number of questions about the system. And that's why we spent so much time talking in detail about the, about the, about the issue of the economics and the, and the currency. One or two things have to be clear. Currency itself has got no intrinsic value. Money has got no intrinsic value. So the money itself can't alter the economy. It's the other way around. It's the economy, the resources that you have, and the production processes that you have that creates the wealth, right? It's the other way around. That's how it happens. So when you hear about a system where the outside world can change the value of your currency and through that your economy, then there's something wrong. That should never be possible. It should never be possible to happen like it happened in Greece. But Greece was tied to the uh, to the currency instead of the economy, so you have to be the other way around. Scotland would have to be the other way around. Make sure that its currency was in line with its economy, and it's the economy that's important. And as Leah pointed out earlier, our small country is very wealthy in the context of its natural resources, in the context of its workforce. In the, in the context of this infrastructure. So it wouldn't be difficult, in fact, it would be almost impossible not to make an independent Scotland a wealthy country. You know, it would be almost 
impossible to do that. So if we, we organise the economy properly, then that protects, that's what would protect the currency. But of course, we would have to have a different system from the system we have now, completely different system. We wouldn't want an international currency for Scotland. In fact, England can't sustain one themselves either. Uh, and, and Britain can't sustain an international currency. The whole thing's falling apart. So we would want a domestic currency that only applied within Scotland and we'd have another process for international exchange. At the moment, there's lots of discussion about changes taking place exactly in this field. There's a whole talk about changing the, the international exchange system, changing the central banks and the current and producing digital currencies from the central banks. This is all taking place right now. There are deadlines for new central bank currencies coming in. So in three, four years time, the, the whole world uh, process of currency and how currencies are valued and how it is exchanged and the exchange values, that's all gonna change. Some of the process of change now. So if we were looking at it as from the looking at the past and saying, can we protect it as it was done in the past? That's no, no, no longer relevant. We have to look at what's happening now in the future and build from there. Could, could I try and answer the, your, your original question more directly? Uh, how do you stop the financial markets getting hold of the Scottish pound and, and trashing it? I think that's what your worry was. Am I correct? Yeah, that, that's more like, you must excuse us. We were quite late in joining this uh, conversation. We couldn't get uh, we couldn't get a link in. So I perhaps missed the first part, you know, where the discussions on this were taking taking place. But nevertheless, you know, Ronnie, if you can give us some, uh, you know, give us give us some ideas to how, how you would answer that as well. Yeah, that would be. It's a, it's a very relative question, uh, which everybody wants to know. And I say, because we you hear so often that it's all going to be a, such a terrible disaster. And if you haven't got something to come back with, then on the doorstep, you're a bit left flat footed. But fundamentally, as Andy says, we, I would, well, it depends who's going to be in charge, but if it, uh, we would recommend that um, the, the Scottish pound is, is purely a domestic currency and is not recognised outside of the, 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 the country at all. Now, you say, well, how do you stop that? I'll tell you how you stop it. You, 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 the, the central bank issues the currency and says it will not recognise any transaction which it does not approve in accordance with the constitution. Now, if that constitution says that it will be a domestic currency and only valid within the borders, then speculators cannot deal with it. Even if, even if some uh, uh, um, Scot takes a suitcase of pounds outside, outside the country and tries to use it in some way speculatively to our, our detriment, at the end of the day, it's got, it's got to be settled in something more than a suitcase of fibers because it's got to be settled by a credit being made by the, um, by the banking system to settle a deal which has been made in a, in a financial market. Uh, are you with me so far? 
Now, yeah, yeah, sure. If, 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 if currency speculators are told right from the very beginning that the central bank has felt and will not recognize transactions out with the border of the country, and this is purely a domestic country, currency, then they, 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 can't, they can't deal with it. Now, there is a precedent for that. That's, that's what Malaya did during the Southeast Asian crisis on the ringgit, and it worked perfectly. They just, they just said, we just don't recognize it. And they just, it just died overnight because nobody could make any sense of it. You couldn't make money out of, out of it or, or trash it, even if that's what you wanted to do. So yes, it's provided the central bank makes that law and enforces it, then, that's, that, then you're safe against it. That doesn't mean to say that you can't peg your, your currency to, 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 to um, to sterling, uh, of course you can. That's, that's entirely up to up to the internal management of the monetary policy. But um, what, what what you can do is is um, uh, it, um, well, I'm, I'm dry. I'm drying up. This, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks. I mean, Thank essentially we're that. saying. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, essentially, we're saying we'd have. Strict, it opens up a whole number of other channels. Strict, strict uh, financial controls that that banking would would be cleaning up the banks. We'd be having a different kind of banking system that um, wouldn't be allowed to play havoc with the economy. Um, but you know that that's a whole other area. Um, anybody else? Because I think maybe. Anybody else want to? Yep, Julian. Uh, uh, do you want to come in, Julian? Yeah, I was just going to say that it does uh, relate back to uh, to John uh, and the Constitution that uh, the the currency must be con must be under the control of the Constitution, that, that, so that uh, you, you don't have uh, the vulnerability uh, to outside interference. Um. Just, uh, just a thing that I was going to uh, throw in to leave you with. I'm very much a believer in, in having the, the correct model. Uh, the Titanic sank because the steersman was following the wrong model. Uh, he was a, a, a tiller steersman and uh, he was operating a wheel steering. Now, with a tiller, you push the tiller away from uh, to you push the tiller towards the object you're trying to avoid. With a wheel, you turn the wheel as in a car away from the object you want to avoid. So the steersman initially pushed the tiller away from the iceberg, sending the bows towards the iceberg, and that was that resulted in disaster. So following the wrong model results in disaster. And I think it also applies in economic theory. If you're following the wrong model, if you're following the neoliberal model, yeah. uh, then you are running into disaster. And we're seeing the disaster all around us in various ways. Yeah. You need to start with, the, with a model which applies to the situation. Uh, and a more recent example is my brother-in-law who had a head-on collision with a, a European tourist uh, who was driving? Who drove on the wrong side of the road, uh, and um, he was put into the wrong model by roadworks, which 
uh, changed his driving on the left to driving on the right to avoid the roadworks. And he then continued with that model un subconsciously forgetting uh, where he was. And when he saw my brother-in-law heading towards him, he steered towards his right-hand side. Uh, brother-in-law steered towards his left-hand side, both applying different models and resulting, the result was disaster. Following the wrong model uh, often results in disastrous consequences. So we must have an economic model which re accurately represents the situation. And the one that I'm thinking of is the tax and spend. The, the order of processes is spend and then tax. And so you see it every day practically. Uh, for example, today, there was a headline about taxing uh, sugar and salt. And oh, yeah. uh, the, the taxes and the justification on the BBC was the taxes raised could be spent on uh, females for children. That is not the way things work. And yet everybody seems to uh, have this model in their minds, which is exactly the opposite of the way things really are. So uh, I, I'm not um, holding my breath for the, um, this committee that's been, that's been appointed, following even the right model. They, as you say, they were they're dominated by uh, sort of uh, private uh, entrepreneurs. The last committee was dominated by economists all of whom seem to follow the neoliberal line, uh, bigger economics and Charlotte Street partners were all heavily influential in the Growth Commission. And now uh, I'm not, I don't see this committee, a new committee, as being really any very much different. It's weighted in another direction, but still, as Andy said, or Ronnie said, it's the establishment at work again. Uh, so um, I've taken up too much time, so I'll <laughs> Okay, lovely. Thanks, Julian. Um, could, right. Could I just finish, finish off where, where I dried up the last time with a couple of words? Um, I was go going to say that the, the, the closed pound of a domestic economy, um, we, we, we use our, our um, sterling reserves to trade with overseas people. We don't use the Scots pound. We use sterling. Uh, because we will be quite well off in terms of sterling because uh, we currently in Scotland own a great something like 60 billion pounds worth of sterling assets um, in bank accounts and one thing or another and the conversion of that into the Scottish currency will be done not by money markets but by the central bank so we will have quite a handsome reserve of sterling when we replace it with the Scottish currency. It's not going to be obligatory, but if you want to buy anything in Scotland or pay your taxes, then you're going to have to have some uh, uh, Scots pounds. So that's where, that's where our foreign currency comes from for, uh, uh, for trading. Lovely, Ronnie. Thank you. Um, well, yep. Is that somebody else coming in? Mr. Yeah. McLeod? All oh, right. Yeah, it was just I, I think that uh, from what I understand, Ronnie and Andy saying, you're essentially saying that any currency has got to be tied to a constitution initially. Is, is that is that really correct in, in my understanding of, 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 you know, the answers that you gave me? A constitution is essential in order to be able to control your currency. Well, 
what we are saying in the New Scotland is that there should be within the constitution, we should have a written constitution for a start, which we don't have now. And in that written constitution, there should be provision for ensuring that the currency is taken as a serious issue as something that belongs to the people and certain conditions specified, which are in the draft constitution as currently as is currently uh, drafted. The reason for that is that, you know, what Ronnie explained about the currency, we don't have a problem in terms of ex international exchange. We have the, our own currency in Scotland. It only applies to Scotland. It doesn't apply anywhere else. And when we're doing international trade, we will have a huge amount of reserves in sterling. And we'll have that when we do the changeover. And that will be held in the central bank and will be used to deal with balance of payments uh, problems, you know, where you where you sell not enough for what you're buying in, and you've got a deficit or a gap. That's what these reserves are used for to ensure that that operates. So that's that system would work entirely on its own. The question you were asking was about what was that? What was the question you were asking? The question really essentially was that the. the the, the, the situation has really got to be tied to a constitution. Ah, well, no, the, constitution, the constitutional role is to tie in certain principles as to how it would run. But how it would, how it would actually run on an economic basis is relatively straightforward. It's, it's not very difficult. It would run relatively straightforward, but quite different from what's happening now. It would be quite different from what's happening now. So you can't look at the model as it is now. People say to you now, there's speculation from outside and that can happen now because of the system we have. But all that system would have to be dumped. We'd have to change the system completely and have a different system guaranteed <coughs> by principles set in the constitution. The model constitution suggests that the state is the sole source of a Scottish pound whatever whatever form that pound takes, whether it's a, a, a pound note in your hand, a physical thing, whether it's digital currency issued by the bank of reserves, or whether it is the credit issued to you when you go in, into your own bank and get an overdraft. In other words, at the moment you can go into a bank, as you probably know, and, and the, the bank doesn't need to have 10 pounds in order to give you the credit in, uh, of 10 pounds in, in, in your account. Um, it creates a, a balance sheet credit and a balance sheet liability. So really, private banks have the, the, the ability to create currency. Now, that is fundamentally what's wrong with the system. So the constitution that we are promoting, anyway, in the model, it's up to people what was eventually voted for. But fundamentally, what we're saying is the state is the sole provider of currency, whether it is credit, or any other form, and there's no substitute for that. And if you do try and substitute for it, then you break the law and, and are locked up. Now that, of course, is, a, is to the banks and the financial sector anathema. But fundamentally, if you want to control your currency, you can imagine you're going to have to stop private banks creating it. Okay, the only question I would have there, 
regarding what you're saying, you know, I, I don't doubt what you're saying. Are there any parallel systems run on this basis in the rest of Western Europe? I mean, does, does Sweden run a similar sort of, does, does Denmark, does... Every country except this country now uh, have mutual institutions like, and you're, 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 uh, you're a young chap compared with me, but you'll still remember building societies. Yes, indeed. Building societies and credit unions, they're all mutuals. They can only lend as much money as savers and depositors put into them. Right. That, that comes on to my next question, which is really a core question. Maggie Thatcher essentially privatised the mutuals. What's to stop, you know, a Westminster government or some other government, you know, acting in a similar situation once again? Well, that's precisely why you need to have it in the constitution. That's precisely why, you, so that a government can't change it. You know, that's why we want it into the constitution, so that it would be unconstitutional for a government elected to try and do that. Um, that's why we want it in the constitution. Right? That explains yes. yep. precisely the, the situation. The only way that could be changed is if there was a was a government proposed a, a referendum. This is under the model constitution. Yeah. Uh, if the if the government proposed a referendum to to have another Thatcherite big bang, uh, and it would have to go to the public referendum, uh, and then if the people voted yes, that's what we want, then that would happen. But fundamentally, I doubt that's going to happen. Right. Okay. I think that answers the question. You know, she put, perhaps have, you know, posted my core question initially. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, well, I think now uh, I'm going to say that um, we've had a very useful and interesting discussion. Um, it's quite clear we're going to have to use all methods of um, audiovisual aids, um, the uh, material that we have as part of Campaign for a Clean Currency. We've got books that we want to get out there to help the movement. And uh, we're looking for maybe we'll come together and find a simple fact sheet that was as was suggested by Leah. Um, but but clearly um, there's a lot of interest in how we manage our Scottish economy after independence and how we set up banks that we can trust. And uh, as as Leah spoke about in Germany, where there are banks that serve communities rather than communities funding banks that do what they like. So I think I would like to say thank you very much to Leah and Agnes and Andy and Ronnie uh, and Julian and everybody who's um, made a contribution or asked a question. The asking of questions is the most important bit. And um, we've got a, a, a message uh, here from Jim that talks about the link for Andy's books. And I would like to say thanks so much for doing this. We, we will be doing more meetings of this kind. <clears throat> Thank you very much for joining us and um, go well, everybody. And I think good night.
Take care. Thank you. All the best. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thanks. Bye-bye. You're listening to Indie Live Radio, Yes Group Spotlight. We'd just like to say thank you very much to the Campaign for a Clean Currency for letting us rebroadcast a recent meeting. If you'd like to find out some more about what the Campaign for a Clean Currency is about, what their plans are, then we suggest you get hold of the books written by Andy Anderson. He wrote about the Clean Currency before the 2014 referendum. Then he updated that in a book after the referendum, and that book is called Currency in an Independent Scotland. More recently, he's written a book called A Clean Currency for a Prosperous Scotland. That was published in 2019. And if you want to get hold of those books, go to andersonpublications.co.uk. So Anderson Publications, all one word, andersonpublications.co.uk. And you'll be able to order them there. Once again, thank you from the Indie Live radio team to the campaign for a clean currency in independent Scotland. Roll on the day. <laughs>